the Brad Sesmat Show, broadcasting live. Off we go into a new week. Thanks for being with us. We have Peter King here momentarily announcing earlier this morning that he is retiring. I spoke with Peter about this. We have Rex Chapman with us today. I love Rex. Rex, as a player, was a lot of fun to watch. He was King Rex. And then it all came crashing down for Rex. Uh, opioids, addiction, uh, was shoplifting at an Apple store in Scottsdale. I remember the day that we were doing this. We were doing this. I was, I was gone from Channel 3, thank God, because that would have not been a fun day. Um, and I was just heartbroken for him. And he has written a book now. It's hard for me to live with me, a memoir. Rex Chapman, when I talk to people under the age of, I don't know, about 35, they all say, oh, the social media influencer. It's really interesting uh, to talk about Rex Chapman and not this previous life that I've known him to, to be as a basketball player, as a horse guy, and much more. So I saw Rex yesterday at the Suns game, and he was looking forward to it. He will be at Changing Hands tomorrow night at 7 p.m. with an event that our buddy Paula Bovin is going to moderate on his new book. We will talk with him here in a few minutes. And then John Wilner, it has been a week of college football. So if I were to tell you that tomorrow or today, today you could go take 500 bucks out of your account and you could walk up to the high school sophomore that you believe should be at your university and you can induce them, hey, I want you to go to our university. Here's 500 bucks and it's legal. <laughs> that happened on Friday. And so I want to talk to John about how the world has been turned upside down again. I mean, it's been happening. You think these seven on seven coaches are just out there because they love doing seven on seven. They're getting paid. It's like club basketball. They get paid behind the scenes. I do it for the love of kids. Mm hmm. You are the minority by a long ways. So why all this change? How about court storming in basketball? We saw over the weekend that became a story. How about the NCAA uh, saying, or actually the college football playoffs saying, well, you know what? We haven't even played a game yet, but let's expand. <laughs> Just like Bat bleep crazy stuff that has been happening in college sports. So John Wilner will be with us today. None better than John covering college football. And so we have uh, we have Rex Chapman. We have John Wilner around the corner. Opening comments are brought to you by Desert Financial Credit Union. Desert Financial Credit Union, taking care of you, taking care of your business. As always and through the years, I was with their CEO and President Jeff Mishi yesterday at the Suns game. Taking it all in, Desert Financial Credit Union. As always, we appreciate their support. So Friday, uh, this past Friday, I was working on um, I was working on a story. Um, it involves Kent Summers, our friend Kent Summers, who is being honored by the National Football Foundation this coming Saturday. And I sent Peter King a note and said, "Hey, can I get you on a Zoom for a couple of minutes? Just talk about Kent." And they've been together in press boxes. Uh, they're both Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. And Peter was like, sure, uh, call me in an hour. Zoom with me in an hour. So I Zoom with them and I'm just waiting for Peter to pop up on my screen and he says, Brad Sussmat, I'm retiring. What? 
<laughs> I thought I was pulling my leg at first. He's like, no, no, I'm punching out. I'm writing the column now. And so I'm in this spot of where journalistically you have to say, um, well, first of all, I'm excited for him and very, very happy for him because Peter's just been great. He's been a friend through the years. Uh, when I came over here to audition at KTAR all the way back in 1993, I'm at a Cardinals game against the Lions. The Cardinals are awful and they're playing in front of nobody over at Sun Devil Stadium. And there's one person sitting next to me, it's Peter King. And we just start chopping it up. And all these years later, when I started doing this, he said to me, what can I do to help? And I usually pay guests just so we pull everything back. And a few years back, Peter's like, you don't have to pay me. I just like coming on with you. And um, that's, it's pretty cool when you have that type of relationship. So to set this all up, we do the piece on Kent. Uh, and before I started the piece on Kent, I said, I need to ask you about this if you trust me that I don't release it early. So this was Friday. This was part of our interview. Peter King announcing this morning that he is retiring. This was Peter and I on Friday. You're leaving. You know, people are seeing this here on this Monday and it's Peter's punching out. Why now, Peter? Well, Brad, I've been thinking about this for some time, and I think it all comes down to, and listen, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm 66 years old. I could do something in the media. I could do something else. I could drive a school bus. I have absolutely no idea. I have no leads. I have no anything. Uh, somebody might pick up the phone and call me and ask me to do X, Y, or Z, and I might say, okay, let's give it a go. I, I just truly don't know what I'm going to do. But you ask me why leave and why now? I think what it comes down to is the fact that two things. I felt in writing this column that I write, it's about a 10 or 11,000 word behemoth every week uh, during the season, particularly. I, I, I don't write quite as long in the off season. But I've just gotten to the point now where I feel like I've created this monster and could I shave it back a bit and write 4,000 words and live more of a normal life? I could, but I just don't feel like it'd be the same. I feel like I have set this standard, whether or not people feel that way, I do. Mm. And if I were to cut it back, I would be basically not doing what I think is the right way to do this job. I think the one other thing, Brad, is that, you know, I walked off um, the campus at Ohio University in 1979, and I've done one thing essentially for 45 years, 44, 45 years. And I just don't know as a species that we're meant to do one thing from the time we walk off our college campus to the time they put us in the ground. Mm. Just, I, I don't, and, and you know what? In a year, I might say, oh my God, Brad, what have I done? What an idiot. You had such a sweet gig. Why'd you yeah. give it up? Yeah. And who knows? Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But I'm not scared of it. I am not concerned about it. I don't wake up in a cold sweat. We'll just see what happens. I've had an incredible run. I've loved every minute of it, and I'll continue to love it. But 
probably more from afar than uh, than in the middle of it. That's so awesome. I could go on and on with you on this. It's a it's a big day for you. I'll let you go off that. Thanks, Peter. Sure, Brad. That was Peter, and that was on Friday. And uh, I can't tell you the impact that he's put on so many people. And obviously, he's been great with us through the years. Whenever Peter has been, I, I, I laugh as I'm talking about him it's in this sense, like he's not here anymore. But whenever we've had Peter on, it's, it's an adventure behind the scenes. Pull the curtain back. There's been a few times where Peter was getting out of the shower and putting a shirt on and getting ready to do this. Like, if you guys think this is all glitz and glam and there's 20 people behind any of us, those days are gone. And um, just whenever there's something cool that came up, remember we were sitting at the Biltmore having breakfast one morning and he was just wanting to know my story a little bit. And it was pretty cool when you have a storyteller like that that wants to know what it is you're doing. But he's always been an encourager of this and you need encouragers. I'll just tell any of you that if you want to get into entrepreneurship and you want to do something that's different, doesn't matter if it's media, sports media, you don't have people mentoring you. And Peter's helped mentor me. So very, very happy about that. And, uh, and very, very happy for him. You know, who knows what he's going to do, but whatever it is, good for him. Good for him. We're not, our industry t- suffers a big setback today, but he's left an incredible legacy. It is NFL Combine Week, by the way. And have you noticed, and I know people get excited about the combine because it's kind of like spring training. It's okay, our team blew last year, but it doesn't matter because now we can fast forward ahead and this is going to be the guy that's going to get us over the top. And that's all the fun of the combine. It really is. We used to take this show on the combine. We used to go to the combine. Nobody here in town would go to the combine because they didn't have the money or they put their resources elsewhere or they just didn't think it was that big of a deal. And it was like a novelty, one of our things we did back in 2012, 2013, 2014. And when I say nobody, Kent would go, Darren Urban would go, and that would be about it. And then other media started to show up. We did our shows from Radio Row. I remember Paula filled in for me here, and I was back there with her one time. And, and, and all that to say is the combine, like a lot of things in sports, started to change. Players said, I am not going to work out. You would get access to the coach and the general manager at a podium, and they would ask, be asked the questions in front of everybody so you had no uniqueness, no uniqueness. To me, having somebody sit down and actually have a conversation with them without having 10 other microphones around stealing your stuff and not attributing it to you, um, I got tired of it, quite frankly. And so we stopped going. So this year at the Combine, Caleb Williams not working out. Jaden Daniels not going to work out. Marvin Harrison Jr., not only is Marvin Harrison Jr. not going to work out, he's also not going to have a pro day. That's a new one. I'm not going to do anything. You guys saw my body of work at Ohio State. That's it. I don't need to have anybody knit and pick and poke and say I didn't run a good 40 time or risk an injury and all that stuff. So while the combine is still important for those guys that are not the top 5'10", we're going to talk to John Wilner about the usefulness of the combine. That'll come up a little bit later. But up next, it is Rex Chapman, one of my favorite people. It's hard for me to live with me, a memoir. That is the title of it. 
Simon & Schuster is the publisher. Rex will be at Changing Hands tomorrow night. And we'll talk with Rex Chapman. That is next. As promised, Rex Chapman is with us, and I'm so happy to have Rex on board. His book is out, It's Hard for Me to Live With Me, a memoir by Simon & Schuster. Rex is going to be at Changing Hands tomorrow night in Tempe, and Paula Bovin, our mutual friend, will be the moderator of this event. Very excited to hear that. It is good to see you. Uh, why this book? Why now? Oh, man, Brad, it's good to see you. And I think I'll see your daughter tomorrow night. Is that right? Yeah, she works there, too. Yes. Fantastic. Good. It's sure. good to see you. I, how long, You've been doing this for 30 plus years in the Valley, right? 40. Yeah, 30 in the oh Valley. Oh, my God. When, uh, when your story, you know, let's just be yeah. honest. You and yeah. I, Mutual Admiration Society, I think. Right, right. with the sons. And then you go through the bottoming out and then yeah. the, the u-shape i i find people now when i say i'm going to talk to rex chapman yesterday at the game or even today that say i love his social oh, media. Man. they don't even know uh, yeah basketball player yeah are you finding yeah. that with this book i've found that a little more after uh, over the last few years i guess grant williams who plays for the celtics was the first one who he came up to me at the combine a couple of years ago and said rex chapman he saw my my uh credential and i said yeah and he said from twitter and i said yeah grant from twitter <laughs> he had no idea i played um so no brett to writing this book i probably probably since i've been 20 i've had people saying you should write a book right um to do that you know as a younger person i think would have been really painful and premature um, but, uh, yeah, you know, going through the stuff that I've been through when you set out to write a, I guess when I set out to be a basketball player at age five or 10 or whatever it was, had I ever thought about writing a book someday after being a, a good basketball player, this wouldn't have been the book I wanted to write. Mm. You know, <laughs> I set out to be more of a Grant Hill, Steve Nash type of book guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not what my book is. So, um, yeah, it, it's been kind of tough going back over, uh, reliving some of this stuff, but some of it's been good as well. And, uh, hopefully, you know, you know, I, I spent 14 years after I finished playing Brad, uh, with painkiller addiction, opioids and, uh, battled it on and off for 14 years, pretty unsuccessfully. And in 2014, I finally got clean. And, uh, you know, I've been nine plus years without opioids to this to this point. And uh, I'm very, very thankful. There's not a day that goes by that I don't, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of give thanks to not have to chase those pills any longer, yeah. running to pharmacies, running to doctors. And it just it dominated my life for so long. Rex Chapman with us for a couple of minutes. It's hard for me to live with me. A memoir, Simon & Schuster, the publisher, he will be at Changing Hands. That will be tomorrow night in Tempe. Who was King Rex? Oh, I don't know. I think King Rex is, is someone or was someone that uh, people enjoyed going to watch play basketball. Mm -hmm. And um, I, sh I certainly enjoyed playing it. And, you know, when I look back, probably the happiest, you know, I would say that, that I was during any period of time during the day <laughs> or in life was when I was actually playing 
the game of basketball. There was just nothing like it. I felt like uh, I felt like it gave me purpose. However, it was my whole identity, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I I associated every box score with you know failure sometimes um, with. Um, I don't know. I, I achieved some things. However, you know, it's just that you go out there every night and you kind of gamble with your game and you, you win some and you lose some. And I was just very wrapped up into basketball and, and, and how it made me feel. And I never really, I never really developed any other real interests or hobbies. Mm. Or I, I, I guess I did, uh, horse racing, horse racing. Sure. And, yeah. and uh, golf and uh you know things that weren't necessarily the the most productive for me i remember i was sitting in the studio the day that it was it came out that you were arrested and i just my heart sunk and i wish i would have known rex that's one of those deals where you come across people in life that's much more than just doing this it's like hey man are you okay and then it's hey are you really okay you know when you lean into somebody Uh I was never, yeah, I was never, I I wouldn't ever let anybody know. If somebody asked me that and leaned in, I would deflect and change the subject. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't reconcile any of it. I I think the, the saddest, one of the saddest parts for me is I always kind of felt like I was happy go lucky and whatnot. But the more that I talk to people, the more they they use the word troubled <laughs> mm. maybe you seemed a little troubled and uh i definitely was troubled um i just didn't know it for a long time social media star do you ever think you'd have that on your resume no. and how did no. that happen how did that happen? what was the moment where it's like i might have something here yeah it was so it was so uh, unexpected and and dumb, Brad. I uh, I was sitting at home one day, probably six seven years ago, and on my phone a a, a video of a school of dolphins dolphins uh, swimming swimming into shore, and there was a guy on a paddleboard that was paddling out, standing on the paddleboard. And one of the dolphins jumped up and hit him in the chest, knocked him off. And I said to myself, that's an effing charge. (laughs) And uh, I just sort of tweeted it out. And, you know, you're thinking only basketball people are going to know what the hell you're talking about. And uh, people kind of thought it was funny. And that just sort of took off blocker charge. And uh, yeah, I, to this day, you know, my kids will, they'll hear someone call me an influencer and they want to run and hide in the other room. They don't, they don't, they're pretty embarrassed by it and I have no idea what it is. So, um, it's, uh, it's all very unexpected. That's really cool. Rex Chapman with us again tomorrow night. He'll be at Changing Hands. You should get on out there, pick up the book. Suns fans taking this in. It's hard for me to live with me a memoir. Seth Davis put in time and effort on this with Rex, and that'll be again tomorrow night. What are you doing these days? I see. I saw you at the Suns game Sunday. Are yeah. you working for the Suns, or are you? I saw you at Denver last year during the playoffs. <laughs> what are you doing basketball wise? Yeah, I'm back with the Suns, just kind of uh, doing whatever they need me to do. I uh, personnel or ambassador. I'll I'll uh, whatever Matt and James and and Josh uh, feel like they need from me. I'm I'm more than happy to 
to do for them. And I'm just very grateful to, uh, you know, be back in basketball and, and in the Valley around my family and, and longtime friends. I'll give you the Cotton Fitzsimmons title. You want that one? What, what was it? Ambassador of everything? No, no, it's better than that. So <laughs> Cotton would call me to fill in for Jerry when I hosted Jerry's show. And I'd say the first time I said, what title do you want? He's like, big guy, just call me senior executive vice president of nothing. That's what I want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do it with something like that. So, so, so there you go, Rex. Guy. When yeah. you run into vice people, president of nothing, I am vice president of nothing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will take it. Yeah. yeah. What do you make out of the Suns? What do you make out oh, of Oh, man. I, I just love watching these, these guys play. Uh, and not only this team, uh, but this era. I know people talk about the defense and whatnot. Shoot, I was built for this era, taking bad shots and no defense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And I think this team has a, has a real shot to do some damage this year. What a bunch of talent. And, you know, every other day I have to pinch myself and, and, and think about the fact that we actually have Kevin Durant on the Phoenix Suns and Devin right. Booker and Bradley Beal. Uh, and on and on. What what a good group of guys and Frank Vogel and his staff doing a great job. I'll let you go off that. I appreciate your time and it's hap- I'm happy for you. I, I'm Thanks. genuinely happy for you with everything that has happened and it's your journey. Everybody's got a book in them, Rex. Yep. Some are thin, right. some That's are right. thick. Yep. Yours is thick and it's great yep. that you were able to put it down. I appreciate the time. Thanks, buddy. Always, Brad. Rex Chapman and that again tomorrow night, Changing Hands in Tempe. It's hard for me to live with me, a memoir, Simon and Schuster. And we're back with more after this timeout. John Wilner with us for a few minutes. Wilner Hotline, you can find all of his content on sports360az.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Wilner Hotline. I have a lot to get to. I just want to start. It's combine week. We'll go there. And Caleb Williams, I'm going to show up, but I'm not going to throw. Jaden Daniels, I'm going to show up. I'm not going to throw. Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm going to show up. And I'm not even going to do a pro day. Are we past the idea that the combine used to be the end-all of end-alls? Is it outlived its usefulness? Let's go from you on that. I don't think it's outlived its usefulness for the NFL teams. You know, there's 320-something kids invited, and the vast majority of them are going to do all the workouts. They're going to all undergo medical evaluations, interviews with the teams. You know, you usually get a few quarterbacks who don't throw, and a lot of that's because, you know, they don't know the receivers, so – it's hard to have that chemistry with the on on field throwing drills and they don't want to look bad. So, you know, if you're Caleb Williams, it's smart not to throw, but if you're Bo Nix or Michael Pettix Jr., uh, you probably will throw. I expect that those guys are going to do it. Let's move over, John, to the bigger story than even the combine, in my opinion. What college did you go to, John? I went to the University of Pennsylvania. Okay, so is the University Football of Powerhouse. <laughs> right, right, right. So is the University of Pennsylvania <laughs> alum. Today you could walk over to a kid at a local high school and say, here's a thousand dollars. Today, now this is all legal. Any coach can now go, and this all changed last Friday. And I think fans may be like, What? High school kids can be induced? Yep. College kids on current rosters can be induced. Yep. So fill us in on what happened and what the future holds. 
Last week was a big one in college sports for that reason and a few others that I'm sure we'll get to. But you use the key word inducements, right? For a century, the NCAA has said you cannot use, uh, you know, you can't induce players to go to a school with money uh, and promises of, you know, collateral. And now you can because of uh, a ruling, you know, uh, the attorneys generals in West Virginia and Tennessee, joined by the Department of Justice, have pushed for this. Uh, and it is bananas now that it's like the Wild West. I mean, you might as well just go to Tombstone in like 1880, because that is basically what's going on with the NCAA, not only with the NIL, but also the transfer portal. Right. The, the NCAA can't stop kids from from transferring a second time and being eligible immediately. So all of a sudden, everything is okay. And I don't know how long it will last, right? Uh, these legal, the legal processes have to play out. And the NCAA is looking desperately for help from Congress. Uh, but right now, absolutely, uh, some booster could offer a kid uh, with full knowledge of the school, mm -hmm. right? They could call the coach and say, hey, coach, the quarterback, your quarterback recruits right down the street. Well, give him 500 bucks or whatever. Right. It's all legal. And uh, it is bananas. But it just shows you that the model that the NCAA has used for a century is going the way of the dodo. And we don't know exactly what model is coming next. It's probably going to have some form of revenue sharing with the players. But that is going to change college sports. John Wilner with us for a couple of minutes, Wilner Hotline. So this comes out where now it is legal for anybody, anybody, even an employee of the university. So the English teacher at said university could look at said football player, said volleyball player, said soccer girl, whatever, and say, I'm going to give you money. That's all legal now. So, John, during the regular season, let's just drill right down. Handshake line is going on. A coach can say to a player right in front of the other coach, Hey, they're not using you right. I've got $15,000 over here. You can come now. And all that is legal. Well, that's been, uh, yeah, the tampering thing has been going on forever, right? Well, sure, the handshake sure. Handshake lines. But yeah, uh, basically, there are no parameters on recruiting with financial inducements. It's all, you know, it's total anarchy. And we'll see how long it lasts. We'll also see. If the richest school, you know, if there's some kind of change in the competitive balance, the richest so far NIL has, I think, created some parity. We'll see if that continues to happen. If the richest schools like, you know, the Ohio States or and Georgia is able to continue to dominate. But uh, it'll be interesting to see where things are going. We're seeing the competitive balance in, in college basketball, right? Uh, there's no one or two lost teams, no undefeated teams. You're, there usually are still at this time of year. Football seems like things are moving to be a little bit more balanced. Uh, it's it's hard to know exactly right now. We've got a snapshot in time next year or two. If this stuff all stays in place, it could be very interesting. So a Stanford or an Ivy League school that has the wherewithal could suddenly become a powerhouse if they wanted to. Instead of just our academics are first priority. If they wanted to. Yep. If they wanted to. And, and so I agree with you. I think I see a balance. It's no longer like it's all about Alabama and Ohio State and every and Michigan and everybody else. Like if you've got revenue, if you've got 
wealthy, wealthy donors, boosters, alums, coaches now, even coaches that make set amount of money could say, you know what? I got $50 million over here. I could use a million on this kid. And he's going to make me another hundred million if he comes here. Yeah. Stanford could, they could rule the world because they got so, they got more money than they know what to do with. Right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this is about institutional willpower. How much does it mean for your school to have winning football? What are you, what are you willing to do? How far are you willing to compromise? Right. And, I think it's going to be real interesting to see how Stanford, Duke, Northwestern, yep. you know, the the elite private academic schools that have huge endowments, plenty of money, to what extent are they going to go all in mm-hmm. trying to win in football, right? And that also uh, relates to the NCAA's proposal to create this subdivision where you have to basically buy in it's going to cost 10 million dollars i don't know if it'll pass but that's the same thing how much money are these schools going to be willing to uh fork over in order to have rosters that can compete for championships in the new world because if you don't you're going to be an afterthought and i i don't know we could end up in five or ten years and i've heard this bandied about where there's a new conference that is just basically the academic schools, right? Mm -hmm. Within major college football, you've got a conference that has Stanford and Cal and Rice, Duke, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, and a few others. And they have basically just said, you know what? We're not in. We don't want any part of this game You, everybody else is playing. And it will be super fascinating to see how the academic schools respond. Yeah. I mean, if Vanderbilt wins 10 games in football, Ever. <laughs> Ever. But they have, uh, you know, you think about what those schools could do with the combination of their their donor bases and all right. the money and the academic attraction, uh, you know, that a, a degree would have. And they could they could kill it. But I don't I don't see them doing it. Let's go to the topic of court storming. Have you ever been in the middle of a court storm? I was at one at Grand Canyon University earlier this year when they beat San Diego State. It was pretty tame. You ever been a part of a court storm? Yeah, years ago I have. Absolutely. And, and it can be a little bit unnerving. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in the wrong spot on the court relative to where the students are pouring in to, uh, in from, it can be a, a little bit worrisome. And that situation at Wake Forest with Duke uh, and the kid getting injured, very unfortunate. You know, the SEC, Alabama, I think, has been pushing for the SEC to change its rules on field storming because – Every time somebody beats Alabama, they storm the field, right? Sure, sure. And uh, it is a tough deal for the schools and the conferences to to monitor uh, because you got thousands of students and you don't want them getting hurt by any kind of security line. But so, something's got to change. And really, the only way to change it is if you tell the schools, the home team, you know, you're going to forfeit the game if you're if you storm the the field or the court then it will end. But I don't know how they're going to stop it other other than forfeits. I think if they say you're going to forfeit the game, there's going to be students that don't know and don't care. They're just going to be. And so how do you how do you police that? Well, then you'd have to get a huge amount of You'd have to have a an immense security. security. Who pays be like, for the security, right? It'd be like a, a NATO summit with security, right? <laughs> and you'd have them too deep lining the court or the field with security. And then you get, well, is that the best use of, of, uh, 
you know, public resources to sure. pay for all that security. Uh, so it's a tough deal. But I, I think that they've gotten to the point, these conferences, where something's going to happen. John Wilner with us for a few minutes. Last Not something week. the Pac-12 has to worry about. No, I no. Well, there's two schools, the Pac-2. I mean, court storming and, and field storming. Um, John Wilner with us for a few minutes. Wilner Hotline. Make sure you follow John over on his social on X at Wilner Hotline and check out all this content on our website. A week ago at this time, U of A did not have an athletic director. As soon as you and I hung up, of course, they hire an athletic director. John, Arizona State is sitting here, and I know it's become like a weekly punching bag, but come on. November is when Ray Anderson took the Herm train out of town, and we're sitting here at the end of February. There's been a lot of smoke, and I've mentioned this to you in the past, but I'm just wondering if you buy into this. There's been a lot of smoke that Michael Crow is finally going to punch out and leave Arizona State. He's going to retire. There's that that's out there. I don't know if it's going to happen. I tend to believe that it will. The people I talk to, they're usually not wrong on this one. But it's not why they still don't have an AD here at Arizona State. Because four months and a search firm later, and we're still sitting here? Come on. Why? Why? What's going on? It would be appropriate for ASU to change, uh, you know, the mascot, Sparky, to uh, instead of holding a pitchfork, he's twiddling his thumbs, right? Because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> That's kind of what Crow is doing here. Uh, you know, they are, I know that they are considering, I don't know if I'd call it a full restructure, but they are thinking about the way in which athletics fits into the broader university. And I think Crow, my sense is that Crow wants to kind of get a handle on that before he proceeds with hiring an AD. Uh, but, you know, it do, it looks like they're just sitting around and they don't care. It looks like they do not care. And they've got, there's a lot of issues that you really need a permanent AD to deal with. One of them could be, you know, Bobby Hurley's situation, for instance, right? right? The transition into the Big 12, helping Kenny Dillingham with the NIL push. All these things, you know, if you had us, if they had hired, say, on, I don't know, December 15th, January 15th, uh, uh, an experienced AD with loads of energy. That you know they would be uh, much further along in terms of solving some of the issues that are looming over the department at this point. Arizona has has kind of made them look bad. There's no, it's like a tortoise and a hare kind of thing. Yep. yep. And I think U of A's higher. You go into Missouri, you go into the SEC, and pluck somebody away. I don't care that she's been a job jumper. I don't. Um, do you? What did you think of this hire? I thought it's a terrific hire for Arizona. Terrific hire, given. Given where the state of things there with that with the financial crisis uh, going into the Big Twelve, all that kind of thing, for them to hire an AD who's in the SEC, to me, uh, it was a you know an A plus hire. They needed someone who has run a major college athletic department to come in and get a handle on all the issues there. Right, this was not a, a job where you had where a learning curve. Uh, would have been helpful. You got to have somebody who comes in and knows exactly what they're doing. Desiree Reed Francois knows that she knows Tucson. She went to law school at Arizona, right? She's from the West Coast. Uh, she's worked in the SEC. I she's hired head coaches. I think it was a terrific hire for them, and I think that you know she's a job jumper in as she's climbing the ladder. I don't know that she's going to be a job jumper now that she's in Tucson. And there clearly were issues she was having with Missouri and its board of trustees and their oversight of athletics in the, at, at Mizzou 
And I'm sure that that led to her decision to leave. If you're an AD, the last thing you want is your trustees meddling in your budget and your operations. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Anything else? Like, it's been a busy week. I, there's things I could talk to you about, like Caitlin Clark and the impact of women's yeah. basketball. And I mean, I think that's with the tournament coming up. It's um, it's enormous. Anything else I'm leaving off the plate? I mean, the biggest week. thing to me that that we should mention is the the playoff, right? Last week was a gigantic week in the history of the college football playoff with two developments. One is they find, and I know this, a, a lot of viewers may think, well, didn't they already have a, a, a format for the playoff next season? No, they did not, actually. They, they finally have settled on the format for the playoff in the 24 and 25 seasons. Five automatic bids, seven at-large bids. It was going to be six and six. The demise of the Pac-12 prompted a change. So basically the champions of the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, and SEC will have automatic bids. So will the champion of a group of five conference that could be the Mountain West or the American. Then there's seven at-large bids. Washington State and Oregon State would be included in the at-large pool. The other thing that happened last week was, you know, there's no playoffs starting with the 2026 season. There's no contract. Mm. The Big Ten and the SEC flexed their muscles and made it clear that they are, want to consider expanding the playoff from 12 to 14, right? We, even ha- we haven't even had a single game in a 12-team playoff, and they're already planning to move it to 14, and they're also trying to carve out a huge amount of automatic bids for the Big Ten and SEC, as many as four each. And that's important in the bigger picture. We're seeing this movement. Those two conferences are ruling college football, and they are exerting their influence. The ACC, the Big 12, everybody else is playing a secondary role. It's the Big 10 and the SEC's show, and the twenty, the playoffs in 26 and beyond will, will reflect that. Do you like this? No, I don't. I think the 12-team playoff is terrific, right? You got, you got four teams with buys. You got four teams hosting a, a 12-team. It's, it's one more weekend. Right. I don't know what would the problem with the 14 is it would be like the NFL, right, where you have seven in each conference. Top team gets a buy. The other six play. The problem is where do you play those extra games right now? The playoff for next season, in case people don't realize the playoffs is December 20th of next season. There's an entire round of four games before Christmas during the NFL regular season. You add more games they're going to end up bumping up directly against NFL broadcasts. And I think that's a problem for the playoff. Unless they play Tuesdays or Wednesdays, John. Well, right now they're sco- supposed to play on what I think it's one game on Friday. And then it's, this is the weekend before Christmas, one game on Friday and then three games on Saturday. But if you're adding games, you're going to, I don't know where they're going to put it. Uh, I'd like to see the 12 team playoff before we make a decision on whether to go to 14 or to 16. But this is college football. There's no, I mean, the basically the, the commissioners of college football are, are the commissioners of the SEC and the Big Ten, right? right? right. So in at, with with this void of leadership, you don't, you, it's just chaos. And and they're, they're undermining their own product by talking about going to 14 before they've even played a game at 12. It's yeah. crazy. Eventually they'll get to 16. There'll be no buys. It'll be, you know, one plays 16 the first first round and so on. 
Uh, but I don't know if we'll get there in 2026. That might be later in the decade. That's John Wilner. He has to go, to go cut an NIL deal with a seventh grader that he's watching <laughs> right. play at the YMCA on court three at 4 p.m. So. And then that seventh grader is going to transfer five times and be eligible to play <laughs> at each school immediately. <laughs> you know, we're going to get to that point, right? Where I know we play, are. They go to I know six we are. schools in six years and they can play at every one of them. Well, John, it's happening in high school. Yep. I got, I have crazy parents. They're just crazy. They're Looney Tunes. And you know, what are you going to do? It's, I'm just going to move my kid everywhere. Forget about like social life. Forget about girlfriends. Forget about boyfriends. Forget about anything other than they've got to get to the pro level and I'm going to move and move and move and move. Those crazy ones are out there. Oh, they are. And there's going to be even more of them now. Yeah. See you later. Thanks. Thanks very much. And we're back with more after this timeout. 